Well, this, uh, today we have the exciting opportunity to go back to God's word. We are going to be wrapping up this epic series that we've been in together in the book of Daniel. Uh, I have just been absolutely blessed through our time in the book of Daniel. Uh, I hope you have too. Um, in fact, uh, speaking of the blessing of Daniel, I want to tell you a fun story I came across this week. About 1,100 years after the time of Jesus, there was a European explorer. He was a Jewish explorer from Spain, a guy by the name of Benjamin of Tudela. Benjamin of Tudela. And between the years 1165 and 1173, Benjamin of Tudela, in fact, he predated Marco Polo's exploration of the Far East by over 100 years. This, this Jewish man from Spain, a hundred years even before Marco Polo, went out to the Far East to explore, and he was specifically looking to chronicle the Jewish communities that were in existence there in Asia and the Middle East after the dispersion of the Jews in 70 AD when Rome conquered Israel and Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And so Benjamin of Tudela, he went off and he went in search of these Jewish communities throughout the, the uh, Far East and the Middle East, he came across an interesting place in the city of Susa, Iran. Susa, Persia, was the capital of the Persian Empire following the fall of Babylon. Daniel would finish his life in Susa. In fact, we've seen references to Susa here a couple times in the last couple chapters of the book of Daniel. Daniel ended his life in Susa in Persia, modern-day Iran, there on the banks of the Tigris River. And Benjamin of Tudela discovered a shrine, a monument that was built there, a gravesite to Daniel. And to this very day, if you can get permission from the Iranian government, you can go to Susa, Iran, and you can actually see it's still in existence, this monument to Daniel and his gravesite, the sepulcher where his remains are buried. Now, it's very interesting. Benjamin of Tudela, 1,100 years ago, tells the story of what took place in Susa, Iran, around the remains of Daniel. Daniel was buried on one side of the Tigris River, and that side of the river ended up prospering because all of the pilgrims who wanted to come and see where Daniel's burial place was obviously were contributing financially to that side of the river, and so the merchants and the markets were growing and thriving. Well, the merchants on the other side of the river became enraged because they were losing all their business while right across the river all of their friends and neighbors were flourishing. And, and this created a great conflict in the city of Susa, according to Benjamin of Tudela, and, and, and ultimately like almost led to a civil war in this area. But the merchants of Susa made a decision. They said, we're going to share Daniel. And so one year they would take Daniel to one side of the river where his remains would lay, the next year, they would take him to the other side of the river where his remains would lay. And it was interesting, in this sharing of Daniel, both sides of the river ended up prospering. Both sides were blessed because of Daniel. You know, it's interesting, I think about how even in, in, in the afterlife, even after his death, Daniel continued to be a blessing to people. And you know, Daniel may not have blessed us materially, in the last few months as we've been studying this book, but friends, I pray that he's been blessing you spiritually as we've had a chance to look to his example, his life, his ministry, and all of the, all of the great uh, <coughs> stories and illustrations that we've seen here together in recent months. I know that I've been blessed by Daniel. Well, Daniel uh, ends 
as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the book of Daniel ends in chapters 10 through 12. And just to remind you where we are in the timeline of Daniel's life and ministry, chapters 10 through 12 come around 536, 535 B.C. The Babylonian Empire in which Daniel was taken into captivity has fallen. The Persian Empire now rules and reigns. Cyrus of Persia has allowed the Jews to return to their homeland. And the circumstances around chapter 10 through 12, if you remember... Daniel was praying, he was fasting and praying for three weeks because many of the Jewish exiles had returned to Jerusalem. They had started to rebuild the Jewish uh, Jerusalem and, and, uh, and yet their work was stalled, their efforts were stalled. And so Daniel became concerned and he went to the Lord in prayer and asking God's blessing on those exiles who had returned. Well, Daniel got an answer to his prayers three weeks later. An angelic messenger showed up. And, and, and the angelic messenger brought a message to Daniel, which is what we've been studying last week and this week, a prophetic vision of God's plans for the ages, and specifically how his plans relate to his people, the Jews. And, and, and so we've been looking last week at how God's plan for the ages is explained and unfolded in this prophecy that we find in chapters 11 through 12. If you were with us last week, you'll recall we, we talked about how in uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 2 through 4, we see God preparing the world for the coming of Christ. And chapter 11 opens up with this, uh, this prophecy that there's going to be four more emperors of Persia. Then there's going to be uh, another empire that comes to prominence, the Greeks, Alexander the Great. His empire is going to be divided into four parts. We talked about that last week. Out of those four parts, there's going to be two that rise to prominence, the kings of the south, the kings of the north. We talked about that last week, the Ptolemy dynasty in Egypt, the Seleucid dynasty in Syria. We talked about how God prophesied to his people Israel. We saw this uh, last week in, uh, in our second point, revealing the spirit of the Antichrist. How uh, verses 5 through 35 talks about this 200-year period where God prophesied that basically Israel would be caught in the middle of these two dynasties, the Ptolemy dynasty, the Seleucid dynasty. They'd be playing ping-pong back and forth, and Israel was the net caught in the middle, getting bashed repeatedly as these two dynasties fought over one another. And if you recall, God prophesied all of these things. We talked about last week, John Calvin in his commentary illustrates over 40 pages of historical detail of how that passage, that first half of chapter 11, was specifically fulfilled in history. Another commentator I read this week highlights the fact that there are 135 documented prophecies in that half of chapter 11 that we looked at last week that have all come true being fulfilled in history. Isn't that awesome? Again, like we said last week, friends, God is shooting 100% when it comes to his prophetic word. And so we've talked about how God was preparing the world for Christ. We talked about this spirit of the Antichrist, which was seen in these two dynasties, ultimately giving rise to Antiochus Epiphanes, that, that notorious figure in Jewish history who desecrated the temple, who killed uh, tens of thousands of Jews, actually hundreds of thousands of Jews. Uh, we talked about the, how God's people would stand firm. We saw that last week in verse 32. God's people who know God will stand firm. And that was the Maccabean revolution that uh, drove Antiochus Epiphanes out of Israel. They reconsecrated the temple. That's what the Jews celebrate to this day in Hanukkah. Again, all of this was prophesied here for us in God's word. Now today, as we continue this two-part conclusion to the book of Daniel, 
we're going to see now the next thing that God reveals to us in our study of Daniel chapter 11 is the person of the Antichrist, okay? So last week we saw how the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world, specifically in those ancient dynasties uh, in the near future from the time of Daniel. But now Daniel's going to receive from God a prophetic vision of what's going to take place at the end of time in the period of history known as the Tribulation. And this figure known as the Antichrist who is going to rise to prominence during this period. I want to read for us from Daniel chapter 11 verses uh, 36 through 45. And here we have one of the Bible's most clear visions of what this Antichrist figure is like and what's going to take place during this period in the end times, the period of the tribulation. Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 through 45. And the king, that's the Antichrist there, the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north, that's the Antichrist, shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, Israel, and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries of the land of Egypt, and, uh, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Now, this is a fascinating description of what's going to take place in the end times with this figure, this final figure known as the Antichrist. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to help us to try to understand what's taking place here according to this prophetic vision that God gives to Daniel. And to do so, I want to sort of walk us through a timeline of these end times tribulational events that God has revealed to Daniel, not only here in our passage that we just read, but already in our series that we've seen in the book of Daniel. So how, how is this period of history going to unfold, all right? We don't know exactly when the end times are going to take place. I, I personally believe that we may be living in the last days today. We're, we're seeing world events leading up to the coming of the end. The, the signs of the times, as Jesus told us to be watching for in Matthew 24 and 25, are all around us, all right? But, but we don't know for sure. But what is going to happen when this tribulation period comes about? Well, there's going to be a number of things according to God's timeline given to Daniel. 
The first thing that we've seen in our study of Daniel so far is that there's going to be a confederacy of ten nations. Ten nations or ten regional powers of the world who are going to rise to prominence and basically rule over planet Earth. This 10-nation confederacy. And as we've talked about already, we saw in Daniel chapter 2, the vision that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar of the statue. The, the legs of the statue were made of bronze, and, and that represented the Roman Empire. But the feet and toes were the revived Roman Empire that's going to come in the end times. Feet of clay mixed with iron. Some of the toes are going to be stronger than others. Some are going to be weaker than others. But, but there's ten toes, right? So there's going to be this revived Roman Empire made up of ten powers. We also saw in Daniel chapter 7, 23 through 24, Daniel's vision of the fourth beast, right? And the fourth beast had ten horns. And the little horn rose to prominence, all right? Now again, this is the idea that there is going to be a revived Roman Empire, Daniel saw the fulfillment of the Roman Empire, or he didn't see it, but shortly after his time, we saw in history the fulfillment of the Roman Empire, but there's going to be another revived Roman Empire made up of these 10 nations. In fact, we can read about this in Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 13. God confirms this here to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. He says, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful." So the first thing that we're going to be watching for in terms of the God's prophetic timeline of the end are these 10 world powers that are going to rise to prominence. And out of these 10 world powers will come this figure known as the Antichrist. This leads us to the second point on our timeline of God's plans for the ages given to Daniel. God tells us next in Daniel 9.27, he tells us of a tyrant, a treaty, and a time, okay? Remember, we talked about Daniel 9.27 a couple weeks ago. It's God's key to the end times. And Daniel 9.27 tells us that there's going to be a final week of years, a final week of seven years, referring to this period of the tribulation. And during this final week, one figure, this Antichrist figure, is going to rise to prominence. This is all 9.27. And he's going to make a treaty with the Jewish people and the nations, He's going to bring peace to the land of Israel. Now, friends, you know, watching the news, there's no peace in the Middle East today. But this Antichrist figure is going to bring peace. He's going to bring a treaty of peace between the, Is the nation of Israel and the nations. And it's during this time, during this peace treaty, that I believe the Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt. How do we know the temple is going to be rebuilt? Because the Bible tells us in many places, including Daniel 9.27, that the sacrifices are going to be reestablished in Israel. That the Jews are going to undertake the sacrificial system once again. But Daniel 9.27 also tells us that halfway through this seven-year period of the tribulation, this tyrant, the Antichrist, is going to break his treaty with the Israelites. And he's going to set himself up as God. And he's going to demand everybody to worship him. And he's going to put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. Okay, This is all prophesied to take place in the future 
during this seven-year period of the tribulation. And three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to rise. He's going to break his peace treaty with Israel and the nations. He's going to begin to persecute the Jews. And he's going to set himself up as the king of kings and proclaim himself to be God. Now, you have to ask yourself some questions here. What on earth would lead to these kinds of events? Right? What, what would lead to a peace treaty in the Middle East? What would lead the whole world to rally around this one particular figure, the Antichrist? What would, what would lead the whole world to even worship him as God? All right? What would lead the world to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem? Right? You have to ask yourself, what would, what would precipitate these kinds of events? And friends, I believe that these events, these end times events, are all going to be precipitated by the rapture of the church. Okay? Now, again, not every Christian believes that the rapture is going to take place or even agrees to the timing of the rapture, but I personally believe that the rapture is the best explanation for how the world is going to rally around this figure of the Antichrist. And I believe the rapture is really a biblical concept. For example, we read in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8, that the Antichrist is currently being restrained. And Paul says, when the one who is restraining him is removed, then he will appear. Now, who is restraining the Antichrist today? Friends, I believe that is the church and the Holy Spirit alive within God's people that is currently restraining the Antichrist from making his appearance in the world. But when the church is removed, as Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians, that's going to open the door for the coming of the Antichrist. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not destined us for wrath. He's not destined the church for wrath. The apostle John hears from the Lord Jesus in Revelations 3, 10. Jesus says that he is going to keep his church from the hour of trial coming to the earth. Jesus is going to keep the church from the hour of trial coming to the earth. Friends, when has God ever done that yet to this point? All the way up throughout history, God's allowed his church to experience persecution. In fact, Jesus tells his followers to expect to experience persecution. But here in Revelations 3.10, he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial coming to the earth. Some people say, well, that's God's final judgment. Well, no, he doesn't say the final judgment. He says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. It's really interesting when you study the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the first four chapters of Revelation deal specifically with the church of Jesus Christ. But after the first four chapters, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19, there's no, or chapter 18, I'm sorry, there's no reference to the church at all. The church is missing during that whole description of the tribulation. Where's the church? Friends, I believe the church is in heaven with God. We've been raptured out of this world, saved from the hour of trial coming to the earth. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, Paul tells us Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. Now, friends, that doesn't sound like the second coming. Jesus is going to come like a thief in secret, surprising people. That's not what the Bible tells us about the second coming. Revelation 1.7 says at the second coming, every eye will see him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn over him. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the Apostle Paul says, we are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now again, I don't believe this is a description of the second coming. I believe this is a different event. This is the rapture. Why? 
Because the second coming isn't about us being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. No, Revelation 19 says at the second coming, we are coming with Jesus out of the air as the armies of heaven against the forces of the Antichrist. One event, we're being taken up. One event, we're coming back. Jesus says in Luke 17, 34 through 37, that the day of the Lord, one will be taken and the other will be left. He says, two people will lie, be lying in bed together. One will be taken, the other will be left. He says, two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other will be left. Friends, this isn't talking about Jesus' second coming. This is a different event. You see, the reality is at the second coming of Jesus, no one's going to be left to be taken. All right? Jesus' enemies are all going to be destroyed at the second coming. All right? And by the way, there's not going to be any taking anyone anywhere because Jesus isn't going anywhere at the second coming. When Jesus returns, Revelation 20 says the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to establish his throne on earth, his thousand-year millennial reign. So where is he going to take anybody? He's not taking anybody anywhere. He's staying here on earth at his second coming. So again, I believe the Bible describes a different event, a separate event, the rapture of the church. Now imagine this, friends. You have upwards of a billion people who suddenly disappear from the face of the earth. There is going to be worldwide calamity and worldwide chaos, and the world will be primed to rally around a leader who stands up and says, I have the answers, I have the way forward, I can bring peace, I can bring security. Friends, it's the rapture that's going to precipitate the coming of the Antichrist. And so we see here in Daniel how the Antichrist will rise. The third thing that we see in Daniel's timeline of the end times events, the Antichrist is going to exalt himself. We read about that in verses 36 through 39. Three and a half years into the tribulation, he's going to magnify himself above every god's, God's prophecy to Daniel tells us. He will worship war and violence. He will be satanically inspired and aided. This is all here in verses 36 through 39. We can read more about these events again in Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 8, corroborates what God tells Daniel. The Apostle John's revelation says this, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's half of the tribulation, three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Friends, again, God's Old Testament prophecy in Daniel corroborated by God's New Testament prophecy to the Apostle John. The Antichrist is going to rise. He's going to come to prominence. He's going to break his treaty with Israel. He's going to put an end to the temple sacrifices. And he will enter the temple and he will declare himself to be king of kings, God of gods, Lord of lords. This is why he is the Antichrist. He is the antithesis of the true Christ, Jesus. And all the world will flock to him to worship him. Daniel then tells us in verses 40 to 43 that there's going to be a war between the king of the south and the Antichrist. The king of the south is going to rise up, we read in verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, 
But the king of the north, the Antichrist, shall rush upon him like a whirlwind. There's going to be a massive war that breaks out in the Middle East. And the king of the south, as we saw last week, the, the, the uh, Ptolemy dynasty, the king of the south, is based in Egypt. We see this here in Daniel, that the king of the south, a coalition probably of Muslim nations led by Egypt, also with Libya, also with the Cushites, as we read here in Daniel. Who are the Cushites? The Cushites are modern-day Sudan. By the way, what country has been in the news quite a bit lately? with the civil war taking place, Sudan, right? Sudan is going to rise to prominence in the end times. There's going to be a coalition of Muslim nations that are going to come against the Antichrist three and a half years into this period of the tribulation, and a massive war is going to break out in the Middle East. Now, why is it the Muslim nations that are going to come against the Antichrist? Well, keep in mind again, friends, the church is gone. We've been raptured. The church isn't around anymore. Our resistance is, is gone. The Jewish people have been deceived by the Antichrist and are now being persecuted by him. Who's left? Who are, next to the Christians and Jews in the world, the most monotheistic people on earth? The Muslims. And the Muslims, Shahada says, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And when the Antichrist demands the whole world to bow before him and worship him as God, these Muslim nations are going to come up from the south against the Antichrist to fight against him, but the Antichrist is going to defeat them. And he's going to take his armies, and he's going to march down, and he's going to conquer Egypt, he's going to conquer Libya, he's going to conquer the Cushites, according to the prophecy here in Daniel. It's very interesting. Daniel's prophecy tells us this in verse 41. He will come into the glorious land, Israel, tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Who is Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, friends? This is the nation of Jordan today. These nations, these ancient empires, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, are what make up the modern-day nation of Jordan. And God says Jordan's going to be spared. The Antichrist is going to lay waste to all of these other nations, but Jordan's going to be spared. Why is that? Friends, I believe the answer comes in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 tells us that God is going to save a remnant of the Jewish people at the end times. Revelation 12, verse 6, verse 5 and 6, she, the, the Jewish nation, gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's Jesus. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she will be nourished for 1260 days. Three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, a Jewish remnant is going to flee into the wilderness. I believe that's speaking of Petra Jordan and the Jordanian wilderness, full of hidden canyons and, and secret labyrinths of, of, of canyons and valleys and, and wadis and, and, uh, and uh, places where, where there's water and, and sustenance. God is going to save a remnant of the Jews in the wilderness of Jordan during the three and a half year period of the tribulation. This is all prophesied in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 goes on in verse 14. The woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she will be nourished for a time, times and half a time. That's three and a half years. God is going to supernaturally preserve a remnant of the Jewish people there in the Jordanian wilderness. Daniel tells us Edom, Moab, Ammon will be spared. The next thing that we see on God's prophetic timeline here in Daniel, chapter 11, verse 44, war comes to the Antichrist from the east and the north. 
Chapter 44 says, But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. What is this alarming news from the east and the north? Friends, I believe this is the nations of Russia and China who are going to come against the Antichrist. They're going to seek to take advantage of this tumultuous circumstances. And it's very interesting. We read in Revelations chapter 9, verses 14 through 19, John in his vision of the end times tells us that a 200 million man army from the east is going to come against the Antichrist. Friends, do you know that there's only one nation on earth today that can field a 200 million man army? That's the nation of China. They already have it. It's ready to go. And Daniel and Revelation tells us that in the end, this threat from the north and the east is going to come against the Antichrist in the Middle East. Who are becoming good buddies today? Russia and China. Friends, God is laying the groundwork. Revelation 9, 14 through 19 tells us that as a result of this army that comes from the east, a third of humanity is going to be killed in this war. The armies of the Antichrist, a revived Roman Empire versus Russia, China, a third of humanity is killed. That sounds about right, doesn't it? When that epic battle takes place at the end of time. The last thing Daniel tells us in verse 45, he tells us that the Antichrist will come to an end. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Friends, if you look at a map of Israel, what is between the sea, the Mediterranean, and the glorious holy mountain where the temple of Jerusalem is established? You have a massive valley there known as the Valley of Armageddon. And it's very interesting. In fact, you read Revelation 16, in Revelation 16, God specifically tells us that the final battle is going to take place in this massive valley in the middle of Israel, the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Armageddon, specifically named in Revelation. The Antichrist is going to establish his palatial tents there. His military is going to camp there. Napoleon, the famous French general, once said that the Valley of Armageddon is the perfect battlefield. And there, all the forces of the earth are going to gather together for a final war. But friends, that war won't be fought because Revelation chapter 19 says that the king of kings is going to return from heaven, followed by the armies of heaven. He's going to be riding on a white horse. Those of us who have been raptured are going to be in his train behind him. And Jesus, with the word of his mouth, is going to slay the Antichrist and all of his forces. This is all prophesied in Scripture, friends. Daniel's timeline of the end. Now again, can we trust these promises? I think we absolutely can. In fact, this, this leads me to our application for this first section this morning. What difference does all this prophecy about the tribulation and Antichrist make for us today? Well, friends, I believe it makes a ton of difference. I believe there's a lot of application and significance for us. For example, number one, why do God's end times prophecies matter for us today? They tell us first that God is sovereign over history. We saw last week in Daniel 11, 2 through, th 2 through 35, 135 historical prophecies. Calvin, 40 pages documenting how those events were historically fulfilled. Now, if all of those events were historically fulfilled, friends, do we have reason to doubt that these events aren't also going to be historically fulfilled? Not at all. 
God makes a promise, he declares what's to come, and we can trust his promises, and he always keeps his word. As my friend Pastor Ken likes to say, prophecy is simply history written in advance. Second thing that we can be confident of because of these end times prophecies, they remind us that our God is a sure source of hope. How many of you wrestle with anxiety and worry about tomorrow? I do sometimes. But friends, I want to remind you the, the door to tomorrow has two handles. You can enter it by the handle of fear or the handle of faith. And you know what? When we look at God's promises for the future, it gives us great hope to grab that handle of faith, not the handle of fear. Knowing that God is sovereign in control reminds us that we can trust him, that we can put our hope in him. Not only does he have the end times in mind, but he also has our current times in mind. And so we can keep our hope and trust in him. The third reason why these prophecies matter to us is they are proof that God is gracious to the lost. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Friends, you think about these prophecies. What, what do they matter? These prophecies are a word of warning for us today. They're a word of warning for us today to make sure that we have our hearts right with God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Paul says, Now is the day of salvation. There's a lot of talk in our culture today about making sure you're on the right side of history. Friends, if you want to be on the right side of history, make sure you're on God's side of history. Because at the end, when all of this goes down, that's all that's going to matter. And not only are these a word of warning for us today, but these prophecies are also a message of hope for days to come. Friends, understand when the church is gone and this world is going through that seven-year period of tribulation, these prophecies here in Daniel 11 and 12 these are going to be a lifeline to the lost in our world. A lifeline of hope pointing them back to the God of gods, the true God. And there is going to be a great revival that takes place during the tribulation of many who will put their trust in Jesus. Sadly, we know there's also going to be many who will be martyred for their faith during that time. But God is going to have an outpouring of his spirit bringing many to salvation. And that's our great hope. And so we can trust that our God is gracious to the lost. This leads me to point number four today. Here in our passage, verses one through four, we find God declaring the victory of those who are in Christ. I love these, this, this summary of the end times here that we see here in, chapter, in verses one through four of chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. There shall be a time of trouble as has never been seen since, since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Friends, these are the most important prophetic words in the whole book of Daniel right here. We are told that there is a day of judgment that's coming. And on that day of judgment, all that matters is whether your name is written in the book of life. The book of life is mentioned again in Revelations chapter 20, verse 12. God has a book of life of all those who have put their trust in Jesus for salvation. And all that's going to matter on that day of judgment at the end times is, are you found in that book? And if your name's in that book, you're going to be raised to everlasting life. And if your name's not in that book, you're going to be raised to eternal shame 
and judgment. How can you make sure your name's in that book, friends? How can you be sure that you'll be raised to life? Jesus tells us in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Friends, do you believe that? That's the hope of the Christian. That's the hope of Easter. Because Jesus conquered sin in the grave, we can have confidence that when we put our trust in him, he applies his resurrection power to each of us. He puts our name in the book of life, and on that day of judgment, our names will be read and we will be raised to life because of our trust in Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life. That's all that matters, friends, is have you put your trust in Jesus? Is your name written in that book? This leads me to our fifth point, our final point here in our study of the book of Daniel. Verses 5 through 13, we find God encouraging the faithful to live for Christ. Let me read for us these closing words in the book of Daniel. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on this side of the bank of the stream and one on that side of the bank. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, three and a half years. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Daniel says here in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Let me just make a couple comments here on these concluding verses. Verse 8 is very interesting. Daniel comes to the end of this incredible prophecy that he's been given. And in verse 8, Daniel says to this angelic messenger, I heard, but I didn't understand. Friends, can any of you relate to that this morning? If you can, you're in good company. You know, I've done my best over the last couple weeks to try to explain what's going to take place in God's plan for the ages. But even I look at some of these things and there are still things that I don't fully understand. And I, too, still have questions. And I think that's a great encouragement to know that Daniel did as well. We don't have to have all the answers. We simply need to trust the word of the Lord and keep on living by faith. And what does that look like? Well, what does the angel tell Daniel here? In verses 9 and 13, the angel says to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel. Go your way till the end. What does this mean? What was the way of Daniel? Friends, what have we seen in Daniel's life and his ministry over the last couple months together? The way of Daniel was the way of trust, conviction, prayer, service, mission. Friends, this is what God calls each of us to as well. We've talked about dare to be a Daniel. 
What does that mean? It means be a person of faith, be a person of prayer, be a person of conviction, walk by faith, serve the Lord, be on mission as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's what it means, church. Go your way. And then the angel says to Daniel in verse 13, go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. God's message here to Daniel is a message to every believer throughout history who puts their trust in him. Friends, one day you will rest and you will rise and you will receive your allotted inheritance with him. The Apostle Peter describes this inheritance like this in 1 Peter 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, friends, all the inheritances we could ever receive in this world will ultimately perish, spoil, and fade. But Jesus offers us an inheritance that will last forever. If any of you have ever read the Chronicle of Narnia series, Chronicles of Narnia series, great stories of these adventures, epic adventures, and battles, and interesting characters. In the final book, the last battle, when the main characters finally pass away and they enter into heaven... C.S. Lewis concludes this epic series with these words. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What an awesome vision of the inheritance that awaits us. And so, friends, as we come to the end of our series in Daniel, I leave you with this final charge. Go your way, church. Trust in the Lord. Live for him. And look forward to the day of his return. And if you should die before that day comes, know that you will be resurrected to eternal life and you will stand in glory and there you will begin the great story where every chapter is better than the last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this awesome book that we've been privileged to study together and these powerful truths that you've given us, Lord, about your plan for the ages. We thank you that we have a sure and firm basis for hope and trust and confidence in you. And I pray, Lord, that that would change the way we live each and every day, that we would go into this world living as people of faith, people of conviction, ambassadors for Jesus Christ, boldly proclaiming that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules over history and who will come again and who will reign forevermore. Lord, may these promises, may these words of assurance give us great courage in the days to come. Thank you for giving us the example of Daniel and these many powerful words that we've been blessed to study together. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, would you please stand for our benediction this morning? From Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.